Welcome back to the Uncensored CMO. This is a really, really good episode. Who do we have on today, John? Today, we've got Ian Milner. Ian is founder and chief exec of Iris, the ad agency. Interestingly, the, one of the opening parts of this episode, you say you've had your ups and downs with Ian. What's been the downs with Ian? <laughs> I think Ian's pulling my leg. I'm, um, you see, I, I, uh, I often talk about Iris because and I tell you there are two reasons I talk about Iris to people and I, and I often recommend people to them is one, they're very, very good at pitching. In fact, I'd probably credit them with the best pitch I've been in as a client. Um, they're really, really good. They, they, do, uh, they do deliver it very well. But the second reason, and probably this is way more important actually, is that they really care about me as a client. Most so many ad agencies have got ginormous egos, and you get into loads of battles when you want to know when you when you go on, you know, when you're actually producing the work. But I think Iris, one of those agencies that really care that the work delivers for you as a client, and I find that quite refreshing. They're also quite media neutral. So whereas most agencies will go, yeah, 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 we, you know, we're completely neutral in media, but here's a TV ad, or we're completely neutral in media, but we want to do digital. You know, they genuinely are quite neutral, and therefore you feel as a client you're going to get you know, you're going to get the right answer rather than the answer that the agency wants. Mm. So uh, that's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of what Iris do. Would you say you're there, you're the favourite agency you've worked with? Definitely up there. Um, I think they would be, I mean, th- one thing I really believe is you've got to pick the agency for you and for the situation you're in. So broadly, you, you kind of, you should mirror the agency for you in terms of your scale and ambition and the style you want. So if you want someone really disruptive that's going to get you loads of press and you know loads of kind of you know social media traction then there'll be one agency for you if you want really effective mainstream work that's going to be seen by a lot of people then there'll be another one but i think one of the reasons i love iris is they they kind of can do most of it so i've uh, i worked with them on gatorade and i had a fairly small budget on gatorade but they delivered everything. They did everything from kind of like viral videos through to the uniforms the sales team were wearing, the TV, you know, they did everything. And it, I really admired them actually because most, a lot of agencies will say they do everything, but these guys do do everything, do you know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons I think they're great. And so if, if they're one of the best agencies, what's, what are the worst agencies you work with? Uh, crikey. I think, the listen, the worst agencies are one, I think where there's too much ego and where basically what happens is is you, you, you get to a point where they just want to make the work they want to make. Maybe because they're too focused on winning a can line or something like that. They're not interested in you as a, as a client. And that gets that, you know, it's like, it's like anything in life, right? You want to know that the person doing the work for you understands you as a client and understands your business and they've got your best interests at heart. And I found lots of agencies that forget that along the way and they're, you know, and they're, they're just in it for themselves which can be a real problem and also the other thing i find frustrating is where agencies will make pretty average work and then you end up having to remake it again and then you have to brief them again whereas i'd far rather incentivize an agency to do absolutely smash you know standout work something that was a very diplomatic answer i've been well media trained haven't i you didn't answer the question (laughs) are there any agencies that are the worst you've worked with worst agency i've ever worked with that is a really good question. Uh, the most frustrating, uh, I'd say BBH were pretty damn tough to work with. And I'll tell you why, because uh, I was a lead on one of the brands at Britvic and I went in and gave my opinion. And what happened is it went up the chain and one of the partners at BBH phoned my CMO 
and convince my CMO to tell me to back off my idea and go with their idea. And that's the most undermining thing as when you're a lead client and, and mid, middle management level clients, I wasn't, you know, I was kind of head of marketing at that point. That really pissed me off. That, mm. that is like literally how to like alienate somebody. Ironically, actually, when I was working at BrewDog, BBH came and presented to us. I have to say she was lovely. She was really, I really, I really liked her. And she did, you know, she presented all the creds at the end. I said, you do know what happened about 10 years ago. And I told her, she, oh, I'm really sorry. Oh, my word. You know, so that was a bit awkward. But uh, anyway. All right. Interesting. Um, uh, I also want to say that this is, this um, episode has one of my favorite uncensored answers from Ian. Oh, I love this. Which, which is about, uh, which is about the campaign Nigel Farage front cover. But I'll, I'll leave you to listen oh, to the podcast. You're going to enjoy this. To... You're going to enjoy this. Ian, um, Ian is a very uh, wise man. He is. Ian is very considered. Uh, you'll notice that as we speak. But on this particular question, he spoke he the truth. He let rip. He spoke the truth. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Should we get into it? Let's get into it. Let's do it. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. We go back a while, actually, don't we? So we've known each other for ooh, seven or eight years now. We've had our ups and downs. <laughs> we haven't. We? <laughs> exactly. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so listen, um, tell me about your journey. Um, tell me a bit about your background. Where did it start for you? How did you get where you are today? Well, I'm from a, a very small town in the north of England. Um, nobody in my family went to university. Nobody even knew what marketing was. I think very few people in my family ever went to a city like London or whatever. In fact, they still to this day hate coming to London. It's too oh, really? busy. Yeah, <laughs> too busy. And uh, I, I, I liked sports, so I, I did a. I ended up doing a degree in PE, um, which is hardly the kind of uh, highest sort of academic fibre. Uh, but I did really enjoy it, and I got to wear kind of leisure wear a lot. I think two or three years in, I started to sort of realise that unless I wanted to kind of work for a sports club or be a physio or something, um, it, you know, I, I needed to sort of think again. And I, and I got interested in sports psychology or, and social psychology and why people do certain things. Um, and I started to study that and I, and I became really good at it, particularly personality and mood and all these sorts of factors and how they influence people's behaviour. Um, and um, th- there I sort of realised that, you know, marketing could be a really good option. You know, there's a, a guy came in, to do some career lectures um, from uh, Mars uh, Pet Care. From there, I thought, well, that's it, marketing looks, looks good. And uh, so I, I, I did another course when I graduated, and um, then I got into one of the big ad agencies as, as part of their graduate intake. And I was sort of doing that for a couple of years. Um, and then one thing led to another, uh, a couple of drinks down, down the pub. And before we, before we knew it, we had a, a startup, okay. and we were sort of mid late twenties. Yeah. None of us really knew what we were doing. I mean, some would say still don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then and then you know we, we got going and we got off to just just such a good start. Yeah. Um, and we had a, a, a brilliant founding client in Sony Ericsson, um, and they were incredibly supportive. And um, that really led to, you know, the the Irish story. Yeah. So just 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 pausing at this point. Um, if anyone listening that wants to get into the advertising industry um i mean I, I know i've got a couple of friends who i think would be amazing but they've, they've kind of struggled to get in for various reasons mm. got any advice on what the best way into this industry would be because it's not it's not a typical industry in that sense is it where you kind of there are you know the roles are advertised and you go through a graduate program it's it's, it's a bit more complex than that isn't it yeah i i think that um it's less about what you've trained to do and what qualifications you have it's more about your personality, your tenacity, your 
ability to sort of spot opportunity and, and take it. I, I think it's about, um, and, and, and you, this is probably immoral today, and, and, and I know that when I try to do this, our talent team tries to tell me not to, but I think it's about just going and working in agencies um, for free in your holiday, doing whatever it takes, doing whatever, whatever you can or whatever people allow you to do so that you've got experience. Um, experience means you, you know more, you know more people, you're able to talk about things differently, your perspective changes quicker. I think that is the most important thing about getting it and also being able to demonstrate to um, potential employers that you mean it. Yeah. Um, you know, the world is, is full of people that, you know, would, would love to do things and, yeah. you know, but, but you know, and, and particularly when they come through a, a, an academic system where there's more and more stuff that's kind of done for you. Yeah. I mean, luckily, the, the, the work that we do tends to appear in public um, the brands that we work on are, are known, so you you can you can go and make a film about um, Starbucks or your experience with Adidas or whatever it is. You you can do things for for yourself. Do yeah. things that are proactive. That is what this industry is about. That That's is what the personalities now, that succeed win. I guess twenty years ago, to make an ad, you'd you'd be spending hundreds of thousands of pounds and employing very experienced people. Now you can make one on your phone, can't you? So I guess the entry level to uh, the creative industry from that perspective is much, much lower now, isn't it? So you can demonstrate your skills, you can build a following, you can showcase your talent uh, in, you, you in a totally much easier way. M- my son is seven and he already knows that his career path is to be a YouTuber. And he's already talking <laughs> to brilliant. me about films he's going to be making and how, how you know how successful, how many views and everything, he's, how much reach he's going to get. Oh, that's amazing. So. I was doing a podcast actually um, last week and uh, at the same time another podcast was happening and it was an 11-year-old entrepreneur that's just launched a range of vegan food and is looking for funding. And I'm just like, that's incredible. But, you know, the, even you can still be at school and, and, and do this kind of thing, you know. And you look at some of the YouTubers now that are 18 with millions of followers and they've been doing it since they were sort of 12, 13. So it, it's such a different world now, isn't it, compared to when we were starting out. It doesn't matter what background you're from, how much money you've got, your, your race, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, you can do things and the more you do, the more luck you will have, the, more, the, the quicker it will be before you, you have a job. It took me two years. Um, you know, it, it, so it will take time. But if, it, but if you know what you want to do and you're prepared to do things in order to make it happen, it will happen. Um, I think there are still barriers and there's still lots of unconscious bias. Mm. Um, the industry generally is still driven by comfort. Um, it's still driven by conformity. I, I think there's no doubt that um, diversity kind of leads to innovation and, and innovation, you know, leads to diversity. Um, I still think that because we are a service-based industry, um, you still have to have people that clients like and feel comfortable with. Comfort equals trust. You know, obviously, trust matters when you know you're trying to sell something that is somewhat intangible. They don't even know that it, whether it's going to work or not. So there's a, there is a, a, a tension in that dynamic where, on one hand, you want to be more progressive and you want you want to be more stimulating, challenging. If you, future-proofing, but on the other hand, you, you, you know, you've got clients who want to know that it's going to work and also that they, they're going to spend a lot of time with some of these people. So they, they want to, you know, they, they want to feel like they're on the same page, on the same wavelength. So that, that so in, in lots of ways, you know, there, there's always going to be this thing where we're only able to just be slightly ahead of where the clients are in terms of what, what they consider to be appropriate and, That's and comfortable. That's really interesting. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, and I, do you know, I'd never thought of it from that point of view about the kind of matchmaking 
you know, agency to client point of view. Do you, is that a conscious thing that you would do as an agency is think about the kind of team you have on the clients and trying to, trying to fit, almost mirror them a little bit, it, even it, if you're a little bit more it, progressive? It is an art and a science. Mm. And um, if you think about a pitch process, um, and you, 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 you will have been in a pitch process and there will have been something that you have said um, and, and not realised how significant that would be to the agency. Yeah. And uh, overnight, the agency would have changed the team because um, they, they want to make sure you're, you're happy. That is and, really and, interesting. And, and it particularly happens in a big pitch when an intermediary yeah. is involved. So yes. the intermediary is giving you kind of running commentary on you know, what a client is thinking and feeling and where are you at in the process and are we going on the right track and all, and all of that because they have to because ev everybody wants a good outcome. Mm. But the impact of that is, like, overnight, y you can recast a team or somebody oh. goes from being a kind of rock star <laughs> <laughs> to, to being, you know, just sort of not ignored in the corner. Um, so it's a very dynamic yeah. sort of process, the idea of making sure that the relationship works and, and, and the chemistry is, is viable. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask you about pitching, actually, because... Um, it, 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 I, I've had a recent experience of pitching because I've, I've been 20 years on the client side, so I've run lots of pitches from the other side. And then uh, I went freelance in January and uh, I've been helping a number of agencies kind of do pitch training and this kind of thing. And actually, with, with one in particular, I ended up doing the pitches with them. And it is such a different experience from the agency side. It's like, I mean, the one thing I noticed is the, um, the communication above everything. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned intermediary, actually, because... Uh, in these cases, there wasn't an intermediary, but I found the lack of information to be quite disconcerting. So in, um, there were three or four examples, actually, where we had a very short space of time, less than a week, to, do, to answer a really big question. And we came back with, I thought, great strategy, great strap line. And in each case, an amazing idea that was then creatively expressed in three or four different routes kind of thing. And I would have fairly, as a former client, fairly confidently said we would have won at least one, if not two of those, because... I, I, I would have raised them pretty highly. And then um, the weird thing that happens is you then just don't hear back. It just literally goes, it goes quiet and you ask for feedback and a week goes by and nothing happens. Two weeks, three, in, in one case it was like six weeks. And then, and then the feedback at the end is, yeah, chemistry wasn't quite there. You, you kind of came a close second, but the chemistry wasn't just right. And that is almost the worst bit of feedback, the chemistry. I mean, what, what does the chemistry mean, you know, as, as a bit of feedback? But I have to say, for me, it really opened my eyes to the way clients actually treat agencies through this process. Now, I'm sure you must have some views on... Um, so, ha, ha, Okay, so let me ask you this. What do you think clients should do differently in that kind of whole pitching process? How can they improve their side of the bargain? Yeah. Uh, well, I think... Or have you been lucky with your clients? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Um, you, you get a real old mixed bag. Um, I, would, I would say in the end, um, agencies get the clients that they deserve. And agencies don't have to pitch. Mm. And um, if if you're so desperate that you've got to take on anything and you ignore the warning signs, that's your fault. Um, so I, I think that, you know, when you spot situations where uh, the client decision-making group isn't aligned or we're not sure if this is ever going to happen or there's a product, with a product problem or a budget problem, you know what I mean? You're, you're better off withdrawing like now. Yeah. Um, and, and I think agencies... Are, agencies are sort of romantic fools. They, they think that, uh, and, and, and they should be, that's their kind of role, you know. They're, they're about believing in the impossible and, and emotion. Um, but, but I think also there has to be some discipline within the agency so that they can spot 
a good a good client and a bad client and, and use their experiences to sort of determine whether they go for something yeah. or not i think the most important thing from a client though is, is to do with clarity and honesty um and if, if if a client has been honest then then that's everything is cool because yeah. the, the the agency is then able to they can, balance they the risk and reward because yeah. you've got a load of people working you know 24 yeah. 7 putting their lives on hold yeah um and but I think I think if they're being honest, whatever the situation is, yeah. then then a, an agency can really not complain. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because the, the very first bit of advice I've given to every agency I've had this conversation with is when you get the brief, ask for ten minutes with the decision maker in the process because oft, often oftentimes the person that writes the brief can often be quite junior and won't be aware of everything that's going on. The brief isn't always that clear, and there's lots of unsaid things that you can need to know. And I, I always recommend that just spending 10 minutes saying to the client what's your biggest business problem at the moment what are you trying to achieve through this brief what how are you going to decide on which agency gets it and uh, when are you going to come back so you know you can ask three or four really pertinent questions that i think can out some of the stuff you've just described and save this pain of you know, going going through all this work for no you know for no output i i think that's spot on i mean um and and, and totally preferable and reasonable to request Normally, though, with clients, there's, there's politics. So sometimes yeah. there's no one sure exactly who, who the decision maker is or what the ranking of decision makers are because yeah. you, there tends to be a range yeah. of, of people that have a, a voice in yeah. you know, w- w- what the decision is. I've always thought in this situation, because often people come back at me and say, yeah, it's easy to say that, John, but you know, it's really hard to get hold of the client. And I, I always think the, be- the best thing to do is to say, we, we're taking your brief really seriously. We want to give you the best work we possibly can. For us to get this right, we just need to know a little bit more. So maybe we phone three or four people in the organization, just get some different perspectives, mm. help us to help you. Because mm. from a client point of view, a pitch process is a really big investment of their time and energy as well. Because um, a misconception I often think is CMOs particularly are spread across so many disciplines, you know, finances or uh, strat planning or, you know, HR issues, running the team, internal meetings, that kind of thing. That they actually spend very little time um, thinking about their agencies, thinking about you know pitching or creative work, and and I'm often quite surprised at how little time most CMOs actually can dedicate to that kind of thing. So, being able to get time with them can be so critical. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think the other thing on this is um, generally it's the case that um, a lot of work goes into creating a pitch list. You've got three or four, maybe one or two more agencies on that pitch list. It's usually the case that all of those agencies can do the job. So it's now about very small margins determining yeah. an outcome. And that's where you get into the, or the chemistry wasn't right, or, you know, post-rationalised, made-up, you know, feedback, because I, I really can't, dis- I can't tell you yeah. why this, one won, this agency won and this agency lost. But that actually, that, that's a really interesting point as well, because um, often what I found is, uh, so give an example, I was looking for uh, a PR agency about a year ago, and um, I looked up top PR agencies in London, and it came up with the top 100 sort of thing. I'm thinking, I've not got the time to go through that. So what I did is I, I phoned uh, three uh, people in PR that I trust, and I said to them the same question, who would you fear most pitching against, All right? And I picked those three agencies because I just thought if they're the ones with the reputation for like, doing the best work in pitching, I can kind of go there. But anyway, the, the, the point was often uh, as a client, you, you, just, you actually don't know the agency world that well because your world is manufacturing, it's, it's sales, it's distribution, it's, it's developing you know, um, uh, innovation and that sort of thing. And, and often 
clients are fairly ignorant actually of where the talent is and so on. And that's that's why I think that's probably why intermediaries exist actually is to help bridge that that knowledge gap between where the talent is in agency world and where the client needs to get it. So well, it's a, and it's such a dynamic market. Um, it's very easy to make an agency up. You know, you can set yes. up an agency <laughs> yeah. tomorrow, um, and and there's just it's, it's oversupplied. Um, and, and that's a good thing, you know, it, 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 that's the sort of nature of, of the beast. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th I, think, I think that's right. I think the, the other thing that comes with that, though, is that there is a difference between um, agencies that are really good at pitching and agencies that are really good partners. That, that, that is not the same question. Yeah. And, and quite often you will get um, one or two of the sort of really famous ad agencies on, on a pitch list and they have a inbuilt bias the, cl the clients have a have a prejudice towards buying them because it's a bit like upgrading to you know a, a Savile Row suit you know I, I want to be working with who, who I think is famous or yeah. who, what people I've will go oh you that. hired them did yeah. you oh yeah, well, yeah it's the name of the it's, it's almost who you work with says something about you and, and, there, and there is, is there, there that, totally that definitely is definitely goes on yeah. there totally is and there's totally an emperor's new clothes um, so I think there is a difference between you know the the the, the pitch winners, yeah. if you like, the pitch winning agencies and agencies that are just really good partners. Do you have um, do you have separate new business teams that win work, and then separate teams that deliver the work, or do you have the same team winning the work, doing the work? If you know what I mean. So so the the the, the standard question you get in a normal pitch of any note is you know I want to I want to see the team that I'm going to be working with, and you know I want to you know get to know them and all of that. But but the, but the truth is. Um, generally speaking, they're really busy because they're good. Yeah. They're working on other stuff, um, and also they don't, the pitching isn't the thing that they do. Yeah, <laughs> they run they run That's relationships. They yeah. do the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pitching is a different discipline. Yes. So so like most agencies, we we have a new business team whose yeah. specialism is knowing how this whole process works and spotting the issues and idiosyncrasies and opportunities and threats as a process runs so that so that we've always got somebody there overseeing this so that we're able to sort of intervene um and uh you know make sure that you know our our investment in that process is is yeah. is, is appropriate and likely to be successful i mean n normally you want to set up the team uh for success from the beginning so that um it, it's consistent so that the, the 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 team can build the right relationship with the clients as the as the process unfolds. Yeah, got it. That, actually, I have, I have to say at this point, um, probably the best pitch um, I, I've ever been involved in actually came from you guys. So back in uh, 20, it must be 2010 or 2011, mm. I was pitching out Gatorade. Mm. And um, we, we were a challenger to LucasAid in the UK. And um, I have to say, you guys absolutely nailed nailed the pitch i've never i've never i don't think i've ever been in a pitch where i could have taken what you presented and launched it the following day in fact i remember um uh it was about a week before our annual i was working at britvic and because we were the, the distribution partner for, for gatorade and a week later we had um our annual conference and i literally took your pitch work because it was so good because i think you, you'd got an amazing insight you'd, you'd done this mood reel which brilliantly brought that insight to life and you had this core idea and it didn't depend on TV. So it was, it was just an idea that worked and you just showed how it works in all different situations. And in fact, I remember taking literally the work and, and delivering it kind of a week later. And I thought that, that was amazing. Um, 
but definitely I, I in fact I still now refer to you guys as that's how you win a pitch because you know you turned up you had real insight into the brand you had real passion as a team um, in fact you had you had a really representative group of people there from from the agency and I could buy the work because you'd thought about well how am I going to deploy this in store or how am I going to do deploy it online or you know even down to I remember the um we actually designed the uniforms for the sales mm. team you know it was <laughs> it was that thought through yeah. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't happen every time but I know um I always use that as an example of because you'd understood you'd taken the time to understand me as a client and what I was looking for and the position I was in and uh, I think that's a brilliant example uh, I mean I I remember that pitch and um it's very it's very kind of you to refer back to it like that um and I, th I think the truth of the matter is when you have existing expertise and strength in a certain thing, mm. you, you've got a week or two start. Mm. And that allows you then to think about the shades of grey, the personalities, the ambition of the client. You know, you can think about these higher order things in a pitch that make you stand out. Um, so because we'd been working with Powerade for yeah. 10 years or something yeah. I don't, can't remember how long yeah. how long it was now but a long time in the run up to that that point yeah. we really understood the business that Gatorade was in and, ha and how to make that brand stand out and be successful and that that, that bought bought us so much and you also time. I think you worked you worked on Adidas as well so yes. you understood the sport market and that, that it was bringing that lens that just made it absolutely nailed on understanding the role of sports nutrition to give you competitive advantage in a sporting context so I think it was brilliant yeah do you think clients should pay for pitches? What's yeah. your view on that? Because I, I, I read a lot. In fact, I remember, um, actually a slight detail, but I remember once being asked to sit on a panel uh, and it was it was it was this, this event a few, it was again a few years ago called the Art of New Business, and they had uh, I think about up to a hundred agency people there, and I was the nominal client, and it started okay, but it quickly descended because basically what happened was everyone collectively was blaming me personally you know for for kind of the state of we don't get paid and you know you, you don't you treat us bad in this sort of thing i remember um, i'm going slightly off the subject now actually but i remember one one thing that um was clear as a bell for me was i i let everyone have their moan and and at the end i said look can i just say one thing to you now uh, i said your customer has a customer and i said you probably don't know this was about 9 30 on a tuesday evening i think it was I said, what you don't know is 3.30 tomorrow morning, I'm getting up to drive to Newcastle because I've got a nine o'clock meeting with Greg's the Baker. And Greg's the Baker is my biggest customer on this, this kind of brand I was doing. And Greg's have called me in threatening to delist my, my juice brand, which was about 20% of my entire business. And I've got to go up and convince Greg's not to do this and, and, and to kind of stick with us and this kind of thing. So I said, don't forget that. I'm also in your position you just don't realize it. And, and if you can help me to help my customer, we all win kind of thing. Um, and I remember it was kind of a bit of a penny drop moment for people going, they never thought of me. They kind of thought of me as being this, this final decision maker that was casting judgment on what they're doing and asking unreasonable things of them. And I'm like, you, you don't forget that I'm also selling. You know, I'm also someone else's supplier and this sort of thing. But I remember that was, that was kind of a bit of a watershed moment for a lot of people. I think it is good to burst the bubble of the industry and put it quickly into the real world. Um, but also I think that um, it, it, is all, it is a risk and reward model. So uh, when you say we all win, we, we don't. There'll be one agency that wins. Yeah, that's true. So um, I, I think it's about being clear and honest and upfront 
so that agencies can can decide about you know whether or not it's that they want to do it still um, I, I think I don't think agencies should be blaming anyone else though other than themselves because this is not new and then um, this this debate kind of goes round and round and round and there's, there's no one answer either so occasionally you do get clients who um, are prepared to pay something towards a pitch but clear, clearly whatever that figure is it's sort of broadly irrelevant given the sort of time and, and energy that goes into it I, I think generally that the money is there to um, show willing and show respect so sure. so I think so I think generally when I see that kind of factored into a briefing I think well that they, they respect us so that is a good thing but yeah. but sometimes clients get with an overactive procurement gland they use that as an ability to also buy and everything that is made in that pitch, which is totally inappropriate. Yeah. So I think it's about risk-reward. I think we all understand that, and I think it's about trust and respect and, and being honest up front so that everybody can make, make, make the right decisions you know, yeah. with, with all the, the right information. I think that's really good, really strong advice. Um, the other thing I wonder whether this would work or not, it's practically quite difficult, but I, I do wonder whether agencies themselves could have some kind of charter that sort of said, you know, we're part of this network of agencies and these are the standards we expect from our clients. And it's quite a brave move because you're kind of like, you're sort of telling the client how to behave. But it, if, it could, if it could be done in the right way, I think I'd respect it. Just to say, look, th this is what's involved in a pitch. And maybe you go, we're happy to pitch, but so long as we're very clear on the brief and we know what's expected and, and, and the criteria for judging is clear, or you say some compensation for our time might be fair. I, I don't know. I just think it's, I'm intrigued to get people's views on it because I think it's, having recently seen it from the other side, I have to say I've got a newfound sympathy for, for agencies. Um, and the kind of, and it's also, it's quite exhausting and it's quite emotionally draining and, and you put a lot into it, you know, in, into the pitch and it's often not recognised. But Yeah, I mean, um, I think, Trade bodies generally do have things like that already. They have um, guidelines and principles. Um, but generally speaking, agencies aren't that interested in them in, in truth because agencies will look for unlevel playing fields. Yeah. Um, there's always establishment, there's always challenger brands, there's always new startups. And unless, there's always unless people, everyone moves, you leave, the, yeah. you leave the door open for others, don't so, you? So, yeah, so, so I, I think it the whole beauty of the industry is this sort of freedom from kind of re regulation um, because it, it's that really that creates the, a pathway for, yeah. for new starters and, and that's where innovation can come from. Yeah, that's true. And presumably you, you, you've, you've built this business partly on winning great pitches like you did with me and Gatorade. You know, part of your success is actually being able to do some amazing work without... You, you've got to find unfair advantage and you have to play to your strengths by definition that is not the strengths of the the incumbents the establishments by definition yeah. so that means trying to work around pitches and work around regulations and yeah. you know and th th that that's that's right that should be that way i think yeah yeah no that makes sense yeah no because i i think it's a this is a genuinely tricky question and I know it causes lots of angst so I'm not sure we've got got quite to an answer but I think your advice is really strong really really strong so uh obviously you've you've come a long way in in the last few years and you've kind of become internationally successful you're working with some of the most amazing uh and and you know famous brands on the planet how do you keep um 
producing good work? How, how do you keep yourself on your game? Because you must have set out, you know, 18, 19 years ago to disrupt the industry and be different. So how do you maintain the edge today that you kind of had when you started? I, th I think that, um, I mean, w oddly, we've been going for 20 years now. And so I, I've been doing this job for 20 years. And on the face of it, that's a bit of a problem mm. because... You know, but you know, by definition, you know, I'm I'm hard. I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to be increasingly less relevant. You know, with every year or two that, that goes by. But what what is good about that though is, um, you know, the, the, the benefit of consistency is 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 com is confidence. So that when you know when you need to change something, you know how to, and you have the permission to. Um, so I, I think our success has been driven by the appetite for an ability to change and, and get always get ahead of the market you know I think probably every 18 months we've done something radical to ourselves yeah. to enhance our competitiveness or our product edge or whatever or relevance whatever however you you would describe it um, and you know we're about to do the same thing now as we sort of d t turn into 2020 you know to sort of uh, significantly overhaul our product and refocus certain people and yeah. And I, I think that's a really good thing. But I think that is the, the, that is the secret ingredient, really. I mean, when, when you look at um, many ad advertising-based ad agencies, if you like, um, th th they tend to have a have a there tends to be one or two trick ponies, um, and nothing wrong with that because um, that that can be incredibly successful. Yeah. But it just tends to kind of mean you've got a five to ten year kind of shelf life, yeah. and, and then you, then you start to sort of fade away a little bit. Whereas, whereas Iris has never been like that. It, it, it's, 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 it, it has got many, many strengths, and um, and, and in fact, the, the, the weakness is, is generally about um, having so many things and how yeah. having many strengths. And sometimes we don't focus on the right thing at the, at the right does time your, because um, we've got so many way, options and ways of looking at uh, the same problem. Yeah, I can see that. Does your um, does your ownership structure? influence that ability to to move with the times do you think compared to say a wpp networked business well um from the beginning we've had many partners um so we've had equity with as like as many as 50 people and um the thing that kind of comes with that is um you have a lot of empowerment you know a lot of people expect to have a say they expect to be able to do the thing that they are passionate about um, so that's generally quite good what is bad about that though is is focus and and sometimes clarity so I, I think we have to sort of try to get get the benefits of uh, that sort of energy and enthusiasm with, with just a bit more edge and, 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 and focus and what's good about that is it it means you can change something quite quickly because you can just have a conversation with the, the people that you own the business with yeah. you can get you can quickly get a view they will tell you what they think yeah. that they'll know that you know you're, you're not trying to catch them out or anything because you've been working together for quite a quite a while and then it, and then it, if it is decided that you know we want to change something you can just have a conversation and it's changed so I, I think there are loads of merits in that um uh i mean cl clearly it, it, there are some negatives too but it, 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 i think overall it has served us really well mm as we've grown and, and scaled over the last 20 years. And what's your, um, what's your view on awards as well? I, I always find this an, an interesting subject as well, because I observe that agencies go through phases of like, you know, uh, really going for it, then not, and this sort of thing. And so what's, do, you have a, do you have an approach to awards? 
I honestly can't stand towards. It's um, when when you've been going for twenty years, you just get you just you just get over it. You know, yeah. um, we've won so many awards, lots of different places and spaces for so many different things. I think if if some of our talent really want to do it, then I back them. Yeah. No problem. Um, but also the awards are quite conventional and conservative, particularly for an agency like us. Mm. So you, you, you tend not to be able to get anything really interesting away because you're hampered by the decision makers, which tend to be very conservative uh, and, and traditional in their mindset. Yeah. They tend to be establishment. So they don't really know what the next <laughs> looks like. <laughs> Uh, they true. only know what you know. They know. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm pretty skeptical and cynical ab about the awards, but I do realise it's a business and and it matters to some people. One of the things though about this though that I, I'm like really interested in now is is diversity and um, what I'm interested in is is trying to uh, every time there is an award given, um, you should also at a glance be able to see what was the diversity of input into that award um, and, and, I, and I think that connecting diversity of input to quality of output if you like I, I think that's an important next step for the industry because right now there's a lot of discussion about diversity and inclusion yeah. um, there is a danger that a lot of that is just about managing the optics yes. um, and making sure you're not sort of being bollocked by procurement or campaign yeah. magazine or yeah. something yeah. and um, I, I don't think that addresses the issue. I, I think it's about, you know, every time you see an amazing bit of work, you should also now, at a glance, be able to see what went into that. Yeah. Who who worked on that? Yeah. And I don't mean names names of people. I mean, you know, what, what's the the mix of people? You know, and, and it'd be interesting to see out of That'd interest. Be very interesting, actually. What what the, what the link is? Because actually, there are so many touch points, aren't there, and people involved in making great work. And you're right, the the, the award itself tends to recognise only a, a small portion of that. Well, uh, and. Um, it will be the CEO or the head of de department or, yeah. you know, the, the, the boss of that's the That's true, yeah. Not the person who's actually it won't, done it. It, it yeah. probably won't be the, 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 the people that did it. Uh, a small uh, commercial break in our conversation about advertising, just to let you know what's coming up next on the Uncensored CMO. And in my head, I remember just thinking, what kind of twat are you? <laughs> <laughs> to drive over here thinking that this guy's vocation is boring. Right, my job is to see why Trevor gets up in the morning and make everyone else feel that whenever they see a roof, which literally keeps us dry, which we underestimate every day. You know, like all of these things that thought processes people have put into, something as basic as a roof tile that no one ever gives a shit about. Your job is actually to get them to give a shit about it. And that was so exciting. When I came out of that meeting, I was buzzing. And I think that's really influenced why Manifest exists. It's like. There's no such thing as a boring brief, just boring creatives. So a real treat for you. Next episode, I'm going to be meeting probably the man that's most responsible for the success of Brewdog, uh, Alex Myers. Now, he, um, he was the guy behind a lot of the famous stunts and PR that Brewdog have done over, over many, many years. And I was really keen to meet him and find out what was the secret to making Brewdog such a success. And also, what happens when it goes wrong? Because... Um, there were a few big times it did go wrong. So hear from Alex himself talking about uh, how he created the Brewdog brand using PR and uh, what he did when it went wrong as well. 
which um, I think is just as fascinating as when it went right. Um, so there's a ton of things on the on the episode that I know you're going to find very interesting. So uh, please do tune back in to hear from Alex Myers. So meanwhile, let's get back to the conversation with Ian. I often feel awards don't reward the work that actually works. And something that um, I've always admired about Iris is I, I've always had the feeling working with you that you've got my interests at heart and that actually you want to please me first and do work that I'm famous for, that works for me, before kind of t- you know taking the credit. So is that sort of humility or lack of ego? Is that something that is just by chance or is that something that you as an agency uh, have always or, or try to aspire to? I, th- I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier on around there's like pitch winner agencies and then there's partner ship agencies and we're definitely about the partnership about long-term relationships and about success and you know being in it to to make you and your brand and your your business as as successful um, as possible I suspect it it is driven by lots of things some of its personality and and agency culture Mm -hmm. some of its product but you know because we are not defined by um, the multi-million pound tv spot um, we will look at a client and their business holistically, yeah. and you know we will be thinking through you know what is the best possible way to make this yeah. business succeed. I, do you know what you're absolutely right, and, and that's um, that is such music to most clients' ears because you know the, the amount of agencies that that come back in a pitch and go, so we have this TV ad. <laughs> you know, it's like it's almost like even if they tell you, look, look, look we're, we're, we're we're agnostic of the particular media channel, but it just helps we think in TV terms. You know, it's kind of like this, and it's like okay, you know, and then you get to all the rest of it, and, and the, the idea is really lame. But I've always admired you because um, you you generally think of great ideas first, and it doesn't actually matter whether you're making a TV ad or, in my case, on Gatorade, it's like you know we branded the cars in a certain way that was inspired by uh, the work you did, sort of thing. So I think that's a really powerful way it kind of links to my next question as well where, where do you, where are you on the sort of um the, the 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 you know if you read kind of i don't know byron sharp ritson columns on you know tv's not dead and traditional marketing the virtues of that and obviously on the other side you've got kind of mo- modern marketing and everything traditional is dead that kind of tug of war that you kind of seem to not be able to escape it's obviously more nuanced than that isn't it but where, where do you stand on the whole kind of traditional versus modern spectrum is there a spectrum does it matter or is it about you know something else I, I well I think there is a spectrum um, or dynamic let's call it a dynamic because it's not like what there's one answer um, everything is changing all of the time and if you're a brand leader biggest share biggest budget you're gonna have a certain um, attitude to your marketing strategy whereas if you're you know, one of the sort of brands two to ten in, in a given category, you're, you're going to be looking at it totally differently because of reputation, distribution, budgets, frankly, marketing capability. So it, there is no one answer, and, and that's what's great about what we do, and um, and that, that's why there are agencies like us yeah. in existence. You know, we, we, there, there have to be other, other ways to to build businesses and build brands. Yeah, I, I think it's spot on. I mean, I, I love that because I think from a challenger point of view, if you're the challenger brand, you can't play by the big brand rules. You know, you've got you to disrupt and do something different. And then the other, the other, I read somewhere, I read something somewhere that kind of said... Um, don't 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 throw out everything that's traditional. Take the best that, uh, that's been proven to work, yeah. 
and it don't equally don't accept everything that's new at face value because it hasn't yet been proven. So you kind of need to keep the things that you know work and have been proven to work, and and the data will back it up. And then you know you know be very critical of the new thing and make sure you identify the thing that's actually going to work for you, sort of thing. Well, so there's always a, a well, balance. Well, totally, and I think it's like it's it's about recognizing that um, the opposite way isn't the enemy. There's always there are always things that you can learn. So um, as you'll know from like system one's study of say um john lewis ads you 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 will know that emotions storytelling strong characters really work Mm -hmm. because they they stand out um they connect with the the audience and and they translate into well create distinctivity but but also sales and particularly if you do that over a long period of time so 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 i i can see that for that particular client, that, that absolutely you know it is or was the right way to do it, and it was was right to invest so heavily in, in making those ads. But I, but I know that okay, our, our clients do not have either that time or or that <laughs> or that money. Um, but I, but I but I, I can see that emotion and storytelling, strong characters matter. Yeah. Um, so I, so there is a there is a learning there. So I, I don't think that there's like polar opposites I think it's about a dynamic and it's about recognizing what you can learn and, and how you can ap- apply yeah apply it's, it's almost the old school medium and message thing because because getting the message right telling an, telling your story in an emotional way is always going to connect with people and make them change their behavior a lot more than rational messages whether you do that through an influencer through a digital ad or through a tv ad doesn't actually matter you know it's how you tell the story that's the, that's that's the key thing to it well well in in many ways the art of the storyteller now exists in digital and social mm. because of how of how consumers interact with it how they share how they share things and how how you know news is broken and, and yeah. interacted with yeah definitely definitely i mean is it, it one one um one campaign i don't think's won necessarily any awards but i think is amazing is the meerkat um compare the market campaign what's interesting about that from a system one lens is that it's incredibly effective in the tv ads but actually the digital is immensely effective because they've got this this character that you recognize instantly a five second ad will be super effective because it's just because because you recognize it and you you know they can tell a joke in a short space of time whereas a you know a brand that doesn't have those kind of assets will, will have a far less effective digital campaign because they haven't got that instant recognition and you know to to, to leverage i mean it i i agree and i think that um there you have a business that works through being top of mind and it's about out top of minding the other aggregators and having a character with a a set of characters sorry with a a set of stories helps to do that but it really works when you then apply it to a call to action so that if you're in in the market um you you know what to do and your your behavior can be guided through yeah. to a through to an outcome that, yeah. that's when it really starts to translate into into exactly. value for the yeah. client 100 percent um want to move on to in housing this is probably another like hot topic and uh, i remember when i was at um when i was at lrs uh, so lucy ribena suntory uh we had um we called it the ted agency and it was a great team um and that they kind of grew significantly and we, we put more and more budget into into in housing and uh I think, I mean, we, we saved millions. I mean, it was, it was in the millions in terms of saving. It always caused quite a lot of friction with our, you know, the agencies we were partnering with at the time. And they, they had a huge amount of distrust, I guess, or, or they thought this was kind of going to mean their ends. I mean, without kind of leading the witness here, I mean, what, what, 
my, my view at the time was always that um, if we can in-house some of the production uh, quick reaction things like like social campaigns and and like producing trade ads a million times and all the kind of stuff we had to do what that did is that freed up some money that we could reinvest in doing more spectacular big you know big ideas and and and, and you know employ better creative teams and that kind of thing but i know it's i know it was a big source of tension uh, have you faced those kind of tensions as an agency and what's your, kind of your view on in housing as a trend is it here to stay or how do you resolve that the, the truth is that, you know, if you're an agency, you've got to realise that um, clients are working with lots of other agencies as well. So whether that means their own agency or, or not shouldn't really matter. It's just about clarity of role and being really good at it and, and recognising that it's about partnership. Yeah. What I would say, though, is that um, in, increasingly you're getting agencies that are trying to be in, in-housing or in-sourcing as well as being an, an out housing yes. i don't think you can i don't think you can you, you don't think you can i think you need to be one or the other yeah. and and the reason i say that is to do with what clients really are buying from an agency is objectivity um insight from other places and spaces um that they're, they're they're valuing your the ex, your expertise from um an, an innovation yeah. um their, uh, leadership um you know they, they want to know what's around the corner and they can't they can't do that through in in housing, um, in housing is about dealing with the here and the now. Um, so yeah. I, I I think it it should be in house, no problem, or out house make that valuable, yeah. m- dial up the value of being the outsider looking in and, and providing you know leadership and expertise. But in the middle, I think that's when we start to run into problems that strike me as just being opportunistic. Yeah. There's often a wrong motive because uh, I've seen it many times actually where in-housing or out-housing actually often comes down to the client's um, overhead targets. So like when, when suddenly there's a, there's a push on headcount numbers, suddenly it's, oh, right, quick, let's outsource and get, a, get an agency. to. So you're basically moving costs from one line, the P&L, to another. And then, then when you go through, right, we need to make more profit and, and, and drive the bottom line. Then it becomes in-housing. Well, if we in-house this, we can save 20% and, and then you know, we can drop that to the bottom line. So I often find the motives actually bizarrely are not what you think. They're often financial, financially driven rather than sort of you know, output driven. But I, I think that's fine. You know, that's as it, as it, as it should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the other thing, though, that I, I've seen, particularly when, um, in a, when there is a sort of uh, uh, in-housing resource has created something for a client i i think the client judges that campaign very differently to to how how they would um what they would buy from an outside agency that's true and and you get you get a a sense if you look at some of the outputs and you think you're running that and you think about how hard it is to get (laughs) get your stuff approved i've been there so so i I think there is a there is a i think there is an honesty and reality check there that that, that, that is well it's up to clients really it's it's, it's their business to make these decisions but i I do i do think that you know sometimes clients are buying stuff from themselves that that they would never buy um uh, i I, I totally agree I, and I really, really, I really believe in what you talked about in terms of um, innovation and expertise. Because I remember saying uh, when, when I was doing that role is I'm never going to get world class strategy, innovation in terms of trends and, um, you know, world class creative. I'm going to get very, very, very good creative, obviously, because you, you can you can bring the talent in. But if I want to access the very, very best, I need to go outside and I'm never going to do everything myself. 
it just doesn't make sense because then you then you then you basically create the agency infrastructure and you get into all the how do you manage the overheads and the processes and and you end up basically slowing yourself down so there's no doubt there's a, a nice balance to be made i think the thing that i learned was the importance of being open about with the agencies you work with about why you're doing it and how you want to do it and how it's going to work for both of you as well. Because mm-hmm. ultimately as well, the other thing I was saying before is if you can save money on some of the lower level production things, like, I mean, I think at LRS we did 400 trade ads a year. And um, I remember Rick, who was running the team, did this brilliant demonstration of like how much you save per trade ad. I mean, it's just eye-watering. It's like, well, this is great because I, I, I can put that into doing some innovation and working, totally right. working with yeah, agents yeah, and I stuff agree. you want to do as yeah. well. So there's an element to which it, it just is common sense and it, we're all better. It, 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 it is. And uh, I'm not sure that it's a benefit to the external agency per se. I, th- I think it is a benefit for the client and it's, and it's appropriate. Yeah. I think with technology, though, you're, you're going to be doing more and more yeah. of that, you know, versioning, adaption and, and, and all of that. And... So, so in the end, technology should be the ultimate in-housing method. Because I, th- I think sometimes it's because clients want more control. Um, and, and that is why they choose um, in-housing over, over outhousing. That's yeah. true. I think the, the other element as well that I've seen work well is where you want rapid response. As in, you, I mean, um, again, going back to Federal I think we operated a newsroom approach, which meant that, um, you know, we could... We could jump on a story, and you know they, they'd pre-prepared all the all the responses to that story if it came up. And um, there's some great examples where you know uh, I think there's a TV program went out on Ribena, and the team were literally sat in the room and they'd pre-prepared all the social media scenarios and and were ready to move on it. And 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 there's th- things like that that I just think that's just being a good client. That's just being a good brand owner, right? Creating the ability to be on the story when it breaks and, and to respond to it, I think it's just good practice. But and it's having that agility, I think, is that you don't have to outsource everything all the time. You know, you outsource it when it's when it's valuable. To I think so. that's, that's spot on. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's come on to... Uh, I really want to ask you about something that happened earlier in the year, actually, just moving on to kind of creative and the role of... Uh, uh, censorship. So uh, there was a big storm, wasn't there, early this year when uh, the ASA banned, in fact, they banned two ads. The one that kind of surprised me, though, was the VW ad, because the reason it surprised me was um, it only had three complaints, and yet the ASA decided it wasn't uh, meeting their gender, uh, you know, gender portrayal kind of guidelines. Do you have a view on, though, on that? Because it kicked up quite a stink at the time. I, I just wonder about this because I, I was reading the ASA guidelines and, and um, it, it seems to be really open to interpretation. It seems to be really subjective as to you know what what is in line with their code and, and what isn't. I mean, I, th- I think the exact words are um, ads that uh, cause harm or widespread offence. Yeah. And, and I look at the VW ad and, and, I, and I just wonder if if it really does and you know and also it, it, it's it's less about um agencies um and uh the, the creative this is more about clients and how clients make decisions yeah. particularly if you're doing a, an ad that's got to work across many markets so by definition you're going to have to um have to sort of think about you know uh, more generic uh, creativity mm. um and be less edgy on point and on trend Um, and that then straight away takes you into uh, issues with with, with the ASA who who 
are, are, are trying to do the opposite. You know, yeah. they're, they're trying to sort of educate um, advertisers um, uh, through regulation. And um, I, I think there should be a sort of um, a, a period of, like, let's call it an implementation period, um where where the asa say that they're going to do this they explain more clearly why they are doing it and then allow to a couple of years or something like that of of coaching so that um uh advertisers and and when i say advertisers i mean clients and their agencies can can adjust so that they can kind of optimize um and and understand fully you know the intent um, of, of, of this of this regulation because when I look at the ad I just think you know is that are you really banning this ad? Well, it, was a, it was a bit mundane as an ad. I mean, it yeah. was a bit nothing. I mean, the other thing I, I mean, it could be banned for being dull. Yeah, banned for being dull. Well, that's that's being stereotypical. I don't think it was banned it for being dull. But, it wasn't you know, maybe going it to offend be. anybody. Yeah. Well, not many, but well, it offended three <laughs> people. But the, the other <laughs> thing I thought was a shame was that it, it had clear cast approval. Mm. So obviously the, the, the system wasn't working. I mean, I looked yeah. at it and I thought. Geez, all you got to do is just is just is just take some different footage and re-edit it in, in, in a more gender representative way. Yeah. That would have been quite simple. So you know, rather, rather than panning VW over it, just 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 give them the feedback at the right stage in the process. This is where I think your your kind of um, transition period would have worked really well because we would have all learned from that and we'd have been able to. They would have been able to you know not waste the millions of pounds that went into it and they could have easily come out with a much better ad. So. Yeah, I mean, advertisers are not trying to be banned. They're not trying to be. To piss people. Well, off. that was that's a they're, very they're trying poor to get example, it. Wasn't it? They're, 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 they're trying, trying to get. Banned, to get that's not how you do it. They're trying yeah. to get it right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the the you know on something like this on on a on a positive yeah. uh, uh, regulation like this. Um, it's it, not like the, Tango. Yeah, so I mean, Tango do edgy stuff to the, get banned, the, the, to get they, talked they about, right? Yeah, and, they and do. In fact, they've never been. <laughs> they, they don't seem to get banned, even though it's quite edgy, which is ironic. Um, so, what, one other thing I was wanted to ask you about as well is um, is Brexit and and that whole debate. So, where do you stand on campaign's decision to apologise for running that Nigel Farage coverage that caused a massive, massive stink in the industry? Well, uh, you know, my I view know, is that it's to- totally oh, ridiculous. Yeah, you know, of course they shouldn't. I think the industry should apologise for <laughs> getting so upset about it. I know, but the thing that really, like, I mean, I don't support Farage. I didn't vote Brexit. But if, if we're going to ignore half the population, yeah. it's like, are we, do we represent the consumer or do, are, we trying, are we the party political broadcasting establishment of the Remain Alliance? You know, it's like, this is like the beginning of censorship. It's like, if you're going to do, if you're going to give in to this, for me, that means that every, you then will be a political... Uh, magazine, you're taking a stance, you know, and all this sort of thing, and you won't be serving you, the industry. You, you need strong editorial that provokes debate, n- not is so, so conservative that it's trying to sort of vanilla and genericize opin- opinion. You, you ne- we need hot topics and hot we debate. We do, we do. And I, th- I think actually where reason wins is when you have debates, is when you censor and close down that actually you get reactionaries mm. popping up and, you know, it gets worse. So. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I agree with that. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about comfort. And we're an industry defined by comfort. We want our clients to be comfortable. We don't want to upset anybody. Quite cautious, you know, quite, you know. And that's because we're essentially a, a, a inverted commas, liberal yeah. industry. Uh, we're a creatively driven industry we know we do care about people and we feel it when people get upset with us well that's a good point right so on the one hand we want the ability to make people uncomfortable and and feel it if it's progressive liberal but we don't want to feel uncomfortable on the other side and that probably is where the rubber hits the road isn't it is that we should be we should be comfortable feeling uncomfortable and being challenged of ourselves and and so on which is why i thought 
that that um, was a real shame that that they apologised in the end. Uh, yeah, and, and I just wonder what was going on in their heads and hearts. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, as as years roll on, with you know, with someone like um, campaign again, I, I think I think they could just do with a bit of a shake up. Really, y- you can't really have such an important industry brand like that only talking to an increasingly small number of um, industry people about the same kind of things mm-hmm. and uh, for, for me it, it's increasingly it increasingly polarizes me because I, I just think I, I can't see myself reflected in in their view of, of our industry um, so and I don't, I don't mind that you know because there's loads of other outlets for me to be you know uh, to, to look at the industry yeah. th- through but I, I do feel that that is a bit of a shame that, it is that, a shame that, no that, I, that, I felt the same it's actually. not really kind of moving yeah. you know uh, with the industry it sort of seems to shine a light on the same people all, yeah. all of the time and, and, yeah. and I think that's a sort of ever decreasing albeit incredibly you know famous and successful and probably wealthy you know yes. people. <laughs> what's next for you and what's next for, for Iris where, where do you go from here so um I mean, um, going back to what I was saying earlier on about um, there's a role for different players in the industry. It's such a diverse Mm. industry. Um, I I think it's about dialing up distinctivity. Um, I think going back to the conversation about um, in-housing, I think what what clients in the future want probably more than anything else is uh, better strategy. Um, and, and when I say strategy, I don't mean what's your brand proposition. I mean, you know, what's your business? How do you make money? How do you go to market? What, how do you price? What about innovation? Um, and, and so I, I think we need to maximize our distinctivity and our differentiation from clients yeah. in order to be more valuable to clients. Um, and, and also um, uh, optimize our creativity. Um, so again, in, in a world where you've got um, uh, management consultants being the new agency holding groups um, and, and clients doing more and more creative for themselves, you, you've got to find yeah. a creative product that not, none of them can do very well. So we're, we're becoming more and more interested in the idea of cultural assets, um, kind of platform ideas that are just naturally catchy and you know are big and work work instantly and and also work with the kind of multi-layered kind of social media content world that that we're now in that again just don't rely on you know the the, the TV spot in Timbuktu to, to make it work you know what I mean because you know more and more stuff is heard ac- across borders and boundaries yeah. now so. So I think cultural assets, I think, um, is the thing that we're becoming more and more focused on. But I think it has to be strategy-led because we want to be uh, more intimate with clients so that clients are working with us over longer periods of time across more areas. But I think strategy is the thing that you're not likely to be in-housing. And (laughs) and, and also if you're, you know, one of the big... big Sounds like you're hinting at your 2020 rebrand. Well, it's not a rebrand. It's just about... um, emphasizing what we've always been and what we've always been good at but it's yeah. it's about you know being more focused and and being more prepared to invest in it fully i think brilliant sounds good right very last question last one tell me something you've never told anyone else before so um i was thinking about this and the, the general problem i've got is i'm quite honest so it's like i i, I always say 
how I feel about things. Um, but I was thinking today that I do have a, uh, a a book in the making in me, which is to do with which is to do with um, social psychology and um, how people act in public. Um, so if you think about uh, a urinal, or you think about being on, you know, the commute or whatever, but pe- people are always people are always in, you know, in public, or even if it's just in front of one or two people, but they behave a certain way, yeah. and they don't they don't always know they don't always see that behaviour. Um, so that, like this morning, I was like, you know, reading your notes to pre- prepare for this on the way on the way in, and um, I, I was like. Uh, you know, you get the commuter that always sits on the outside seat, yeah. but when there's the inside seat, is always there free, and they've done it on purpose to maximise the chance of and getting also both seats to yeah, make like you airlines, have yeah. to ask them. Yes, yeah. So there was some fucker there with his yeah. laptop out, yeah, coffee yeah, yeah. everywhere. He's like, yeah. he'd, he'd done the, <laughs> this is my territory. I branded this territory. Yeah. Woe betide anybody that you yeah. know with a ticket. They put their bag on the, the seat yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the umbrella, the wet umbrella. <laughs> so I had one of those moments, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I was like. In a, you know, no one said anything. You know, there were no words were exchanged, but yeah. there was lots of kind of, uh, yeah, shuffling. And he was <laughs> he was trying to make me as uncomfortable as possible once I'd secured the inside Brilliant. seat for the half an hour, you know, yeah. ride in. But I don't know. I, I'm just fascinated by people and why they do these things. And I, and I, and I would love to. I love all that. Write, write yeah. something about this and all these little vignettes yes. about you know people's lives and how they come up, come across oh, this brilliant. all the time and why do, why are people doing it. That's absolutely brilliant. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure. So lastly, do you want to plug Iris? How can we get hold of you? Where should people go to find out more? So um, Iris is for the forward. Um, and it, So if you're client or uh, talent and you want something different, it, it's Iris. Um, so um, it, it, irisworldwide.com. Irisworldwide.com. Yeah. And you can find you there. Brilliant. Ian, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Uncensored CMO. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Now, just to wrap up, I've got one request of you. I would love it if you would drop me a DM on Twitter at Uncensored CMO and let me know who you think I should have on the show. If you'll do that for me, I will send you a bottle of pink Moe. What could be fairer than that? Um, I would genuinely really appreciate it, so please do that. James, and finally, how can what should people do now? Well, we would really, really also appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help the podcast grow. If you've got a friend who wants to listen to the best new marketing podcast out there, please do share it with them. Share the, this episode on Twitter. Share it on LinkedIn. Let's push this podcast far and wide. Oh,